0: Good morning. We've got a substitute drummer and a substitute PowerPoint man. Um, seems like the drummer's doing fine, but the PowerPoint guy kind of fell asleep at the wheel for a second there on one of the songs. Um, probably works best if I don't try to sing um, while we're um, while I'm doing the slides, but um, hopefully y'all know the song well enough. Good morning and welcome. It is um, a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it's a good day to, to be together as we worship as we sing as we study God's Word and hopefully ultimately we hear his voice and we are changed and transformed so if you are a regular folk here it's great to see you if you're a visitor we're glad you were here it's great to see you as well and we hope you enjoy the service and if you um, like to sit closer um, there's there's three wonderful rows just right available over here um, that you can, you know, try out. Um, it, it's not permanent. You can do it on a, on a trial basis, kind of see what it feels like to set it maybe a different spot. Or if you're comfortable where you are, that's fine um, too. But we are so glad that you're here. And if you are with us for the first time, welcome. Um, we have a card in the bulletin. It's a little tan card called our Connect Card. It's a great way to share information, receive information, update us on prayer requests. So we can pray along with you. Just if you do share prayer requests, let us know. There's a box you can check it. If it's okay to send that out over email or not, because we want to be um, respectful of your privacy. I um, just want to highlight a few things um, this morning before we read scripture. And if you want to um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, there we're going to be in Romans chapter eight. But let me just um, let you know that today um, starts our week of prayer for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Um, it is March. Fifth through twelve, our church goal is three thousand five hundred dollars, and as we do each year, the North American Mission Board provides for us a weekly prayer guide. And our theme for this year is "United, Called to Be One." Now, I don't know it may may come as a shock to you, but um, you know when we all get to heaven, or when you get to heaven, you're going to find out pretty quickly that you know it's not just the Baptists that, that get in. Um, Some people think that. Um, It's not going to be just the Methodists. It's going to be those that are called by the name of Jesus and who are um, united um, with Christ and with His church. And that church looks very different in in many different places. And our call is to be united. In fact, Jesus prayed that we would be one as He and the Father are one. And as we are unified in Christ, we can carry out His mission to go to the nation's starting where we are right here, going into our state, into our country, and ultimately um, throughout the world. And so this will give you a highlight each day of, of missionaries that are working in North America to um, further the cause of Christ, to plant churches, to share Jesus with people, to love people. And so I think you'll find this very helpful. There's also an envelope available. Um, just be, please be praying about um, the amount that you would give toward this offering, which helps... Um, Mission work in Canada, United States, Mexico, all of North America. Let me just tell you two more things. Um, ladies, it's still not too late to sign up for the um, Koinonia group, the Bible study group. that's going to begin on March 13th. That's not this Monday, but the next Monday um, at the Kroger at 630. I'll um, be reading through and doing a book study of the book Chasing Vines by Beth Moore. If you haven't looked it up, it's around $15 online. You can find it just about anywhere that sells books, or you may even check half price if you're interested. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. Um, Just put your name on there, and there's a block to check whether or not you're going to be in person. It's fine if you want to just get a book and read along with the ladies. I think that would be um, helpful as well. If you have any questions about that, you can see Kim um, Creamer, or you can see um, Deborah, my wife. And then also let me just highlight our Wednesday activities. Um, Wednesday lunch, um, 11 o'clock, we'll be here to sing from the hymnal, to study God's Word together, to pray and enjoy lunch. On Wednesday evenings, we have prayer meeting at 6.30. And then just a call out and reminder to men, tomorrow morning, 6.30 at the Elk Diner is um, our weekly men's breakfast. Um, So at this point, um, one of our students is going to come and read for us from Romans chapter 8. And so um, listen intently, and we'll be starting in verse 31 and reading down through the end of the chapter.
1: morning, I just wanted to sing a song that is a prayer and a praise and one for myself and for all of us this morning. If you know the song, feel free to sing along. i and sing with us this morning. Show Should is home. You may be seated.
0: Take out your Bible. We're going to be in Esther chapter five and Esther chapter six. And in just the morning, in just a minute, we'll read a portion from each of those chapters to uh, help us set the stage for the activities that we will look at today in the continuing story of God's hand at work in all circumstances, and especially in the in the life of this young Jewish girl who becomes queen named Esther. But I wanted to begin this morning just by asking you a question. Have you ever had one of those nights that you just couldn't sleep? Maybe your your mind is filled with with a million different kind of thoughts. Maybe it's Things to do. You're working on a a mental to-do list during the the evening. Maybe it's anticipation of something that's coming up. Or maybe it's just too much caffeine. Or coughing. At least of late. And you lie there. You're trying and hoping that maybe you're going to fall back asleep. And finally you give up and you get up. You're awake. It's one of those sleepless nights. Now some people get up, turn on the television, others may take that time to pray, maybe read their Bible if they're a little more on the spiritual side. Others might use that time to catch up on some work. Few people might choose to pick up a book and do some reading. But this morning we're going to talk about maybe that there might be a different reason that you could be awake in the middle of the night. And today in the story of Esther, we're going to explore the idea, simply, if this thing works, that God works in ordinary and seemingly insignificant events to accomplish His plans and purposes. Another way of saying that is things just don't happen by accident. God has a purpose and a reason. And little things all along the way, over time, move us along in the direction that God has for us so we could say in a sense that there are no accidents when we read the bible we find these great miraculous stories red sea is parted the walls of jericho come falling down and jesus raised from the dead and while those seem so incredible every day little miracles happen that maybe don't seem so incredible All those just so happens. They're not coincidences. They're not chance occurrences. They may seem very normal parts of your life, but each one has a very pointed reason, even if that happening is not being able to sleep. God uses those for His plan and His purposes. And this morning we're going to see how God uses the sleeplessness of a king named Ahasuerus or Xerxes to turn the tables in this story of Esther. Now before we pray, I want us to read, um, we're going to read the first five verses from chapter five and then the first five verses from chapter six. won't take time to read the entire verse. You can read that on your own. We'll work through most of it in our time together. But chapter five, verse one begins this way. Now you remember last week Esther has her do or die moment You know, Mordecai, maybe you were called here for such a time as this. And Esther stands up bravely in faith and says, "What if I die, I die. I'll go to the king. So chapter 5 is her chance. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it pleases the king, Let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. So now just look over to chapter 6, and we'll start there in verse 1. On that night, the king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds. The Chronicles, and they were read before the king, and it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigdana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, "What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this?" The king's young men who attended him said, "Nothing has been done for him." And the king said. Who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hang on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman's there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Lord, we are thankful that we have your word as not only a treasure of Knowledge, but as a living word that transforms both our lives and our hearts from the inside out. And so as we look this morning at this story of Esther, the circumstances surrounding her visit to the king, and this man Haman, Lord, we ask for your guidance and your wisdom. Lord, teach us from the pages of your word by the power of your spirit through the living word for our benefit and for your glory. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. So there's an outline, as always, in the bulletin to help you follow along. And the first thing we see in chapter 5 is that Queen Esther wins favor with the king. You could say, in a way, that it's Esther's moment of truth. She's professed what she's going to do in faith, and now she steps up and does it. And it leads her to the king's chamber. Now, remember, her people have been praying for her. And beyond that, she has a lot going for her. We know from the story so far that she's beautiful. She's compliant. She's evidently smart and shrewd, as we're going to find out. But best of all, the Lord is with her. Now, remember the first time she goes before the king. It was all about her beauty, the way she looked. But this time, she's the queen. And so we find that she's dressed in royal robes. She puts on elegant garments that are second only to the king's. And she waits there in front of the king's quarters, hoping to gain access and interest. She's committed in her mind to rescue her people. She's arrived here for such a time as this. She's already professed a willingness to give her own life. If I die, I die. So what's going to happen? Now on that first visit, we read that The king loved or desired Esther more than the others. I want you to notice in verse 2 of chapter 5 what it says. She won favor in his sight. And because she gained the king's favor, what does the king do? The king holds out his scepter. It was a symbolic act. The golden scepter of the king, which at a movement could determine life or death to someone who would visit the court, is extended toward Queen Esther. Now, as a symbol of acceptance, the verses tell us that Esther reaches out and touches the tip of the scepter, accepting his invitation to come into her pre- his presence. What does that mean? Esther's not going to die. Now, you probably figured that out because the book is about Esther, but she's safely in the king's presence, and the king asks her a question, What is it, Queen Esther? He says, you know, I'll I'll give you up to half of my kingdom, which was a common phrase during that day just to express extreme generosity. And verse 4 tells us what Esther's response is. If it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come to my feet. So she plans a banquet, a dinner party, but it's not your typical dinner party. Okay, it's all right to invite your husband, check. Maybe not so much to invite the mortal enemy of your people. I mean, just probably not something you would do on a normal basis. So you're wondering at this point, what in the world could the queen be up to? But we find out the king accepts the invitation, calls for Haman. They enjoy a time of wine and feasting. And the king asks again, Esther, what's your wish? Up to half my kingdom. Now remember, Esther's clever. She's shrewd. So once again, she delays her request, invites the two men to a second banquet. And the suspense builds, the intrigue builds. Meanwhile, Haman is flying high. He is so excited, his ego is so overinflated. He's going to a banquet with the queen and king, and now he's called to a second one. And the scene ends in chapter 5 with a description of Haman in verse 9 that he's joyful and glad of heart. But that happiness is only temporary. Because we find that Haman is filled with hatred. And when he is walking on his way home, having nothing but a good day, the good day turns bad. He looks over, and who does he see? Mordecai. Standing or sitting at the city gate, Mordecai doesn't bother to get up and rise in honor of Haman, second in command. And also, he didn't fear the presence of Haman. In fact, he remains calm and Continues on, business as usual. And while Mordecai is cool, Haman is furious. He's angry. But he doesn't take time to act now against Mordecai. text says he restrains himself and he moves on toward his home. But for Haman, like many other people, all the good stuff in the world is never enough. Next to the king, if you were to say it in Persia, Haman had it all. He was number two. He was wealthy, but he was still not happy. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says this. Look at this verse. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So he could probably buy anything he wanted, get anything he wanted, but he's not happy. And you take the hatred that he had and combine that with the greed that he suffered from, and what you get is a miserable human being. He had hatred in his heart, which in essence is murder already on the inside. And sometimes that murderous spirit of hatred manifests itself. And even though this man hatreds Haman, you could say hatred, seemed to have everything, all the good stuff, the hate that's burning inside of him, his lust for more and more. Even though he thought so, not even killing Mordecai and the Jews would make him happy. So he called his wife together, his friends, and He's boasting about his promotion, you know, probably tell him, hey, I had, a, had dinner with the king and queen, and tomorrow I'm going to another meal. You know, I've got all these honors. I'm number two. And then listen to his words that he speaks. Verse 13. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the city at the king's gate. He's got it all as far as the world But he's not happy because he has bitterness and hatred in his heart. And how many people do we know that we look at and we see the the size of their home or the amount of income or the car they drive, and they may look on the outside like they've got everything and they're completely happy, but on the inside they are filled with bitterness and unforgiveness, which Jesus said is murder in your heart. And so Haman's wife and friends offer some help to Mordecai. And they come up with what I would determine is a wicked solution. Why don't you just hang Mordecai? Hang him high. They suggest that they build a gallows that in feet would be about 75 foot tall, extremely tall, more tall than was needed. You know, even a tall man, even a 7-foot man, you could hang on an 8-foot gallows. they say build this gallows and then in the morning verse 14 says tell the king to have mordecai hanged on it so mordecai look out your window and see that little plot of land you can build a a gallows out there make it tall make it high so everybody can see it and in the morning go tell the king you want mordecai hanging on that so in essence they say you know take care of mordecai and then when you're finished then go joyfully with the king to the wicked mind he has that if not checked by God if not controlled this wicked mind thinks that hatred turned into murder is going to bring happiness but you read through the Bible it never works Cain killed Abel David had Uriah killed Herod had John The Baptists beheaded. The Jewish leaders killed. Jesus never worked the way they thought. It never will. God created every life in his image. Every life is sacred from conception to old age. And even though we read news story after news story of people that take the life of another, it never ends the way they thought it would. So even though we know that Mordecai's murder is not going to satisfy Haman for very long, the storyteller ends chapter 5 with a picture of Haman that I would describe as very satisfied. Look at verse 14. The idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So Haman's happy as we end chapter 5. Mordecai is in danger, and Esther is plotting. She's still up to something. But with all these stories of intrigue going along, the most important event of the evening is about to take place in the bedroom of the king. And it seems so very small and insignificant. The king can't sleep. One small event can change the course of history. A brave act of heroism, a miraculous occurrence something happens that triggers a chain reaction that turns the tide who would have ever thought that the circumstances for Mordecai would be changed with the words coming out of the mouth of the king I I just can't sleep tonight another one of those just so happen moments those coincidences that are not coincidences that begin a series of reversals in the book with many more to follow. So one way you can read the story of Esther is a book of reversals where things happen in the first half of the book and in the second half of the book they unhappen or they're completely reversed. So as you look at chapter one, of verse 1 of chapter 6 you find the verse that we read earlier On that night the king could not sleep. So he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds. The Chronicles, and they were read before the king. So, on this sleepless night, the king calls out for what you could call a royal bedtime story. Oh, boys of my castle, why don't you go get the book and let's read the story? And it just so happens that the book is the book of memorable. Deeds. It's the Royal Journal of Important Events. Some light reading in the evening to maybe help you go to sleep. Now, this is the same book from chapter 2 that's called the Chronicles. And guess what he reads? Yeah, he reads about how Mordecai revealed the assassination plot and the king asks a question in verse number 3 what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this the answer from the young men we didn't honor Mordecai uh oh a giant royal mistake and the king wants to fix it as soon as he he can. And so he says, Who's in the court? Well, it just so happens that Haman is waiting in the wings. He had, in fact, just arrived to ask the king about going ahead and hanging Mordecai. He's standing in the outer court, and the king invites Haman into the chambers. And it sets the stage for the first of these reversals. But Haman doesn't have a chance to ask the king about Mordecai because the king has business on his mind late in the night. There's someone he needs to honor. And your mind is filled with questions. Why was this king unable to sleep? Why did he read from the royal chronicles? And why did Haman happen to be waiting in the wings? The answer is a word called providence. Dr. Hector Giannis, who teaches at Grand Canyon University, wrote this definition, God's caring provision for his people as he guides them in their journey of faith through life, accomplishing his purpose in them. And so you have these key words, caring, provision, God's guidance, and God's purposes. God's caring provision for His people as He guides them in their journey of faith through accomplishing accomplishing His purpose in them. Pastor Ken Hughes says it this way, that because of providence, all of life is a miracle. Because of God's loving, caring, guiding of all things, everything in life we experience is a miracle. So all of these happenings were happening because God was caring for his people. He provided for them. He was carrying out his purpose. And the fact that the tables are about to be turned on Haman and the truth that God is at the center of it all are attributed to this key idea of God's providence. So let's not wait. Let's get to this turning of the tables because what we're going to see is that Haman is humiliated, and Mordecai is honored. Reversal of circumstances. Now this part of the story is filled with irony. It's dusted with pride all over. And actually, if you read it, it's pretty humorous. And the key phrase that we need to see that comes over and over is, the man whom the king delights to honor fun starts there in verse 6. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Now we know the king is talking about who? Mordecai. And we should know a little bit of Haman's character by now to realize that Haman immediately thinks, oh, he's talking about me. And so we get a look inside of Haman's head in the following verse where it says, And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And you can imagine this big smile on his face. The king wants to honor me. Who else in all the kingdom could it be? So he's filled up, he's puffed up with pride, and he begins to describe the kind of honor that he thinks he deserves. You can read it in verses 7 through 10. But basically, he tells the king that the man whom the king delights to honor deserves to be dressed in royal robes and to ride on the king's horse around the city square, representing the favor of the king, given special kingly privileges. And Haman's probably thinking, yeah, that's, it. that's what I deserve. And then he adds one more thing to kind of put the the cherry on top of the icing on the cake, that not only should he be led around on a horse, the man who's leading the horse ought to call out to everyone, this is the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman's hoping for his own little personal pride parade. Oh, he's so excited. He's thinking, the king is going to do all this for me. It's going to be so great. It's going to be wonderful going to let everybody know just how important I am. And everything's going his way until the king speaks. (laughs) Paraphrase, that's a great idea, Haman. Now, go do that to Mordecai, the Jew. And leave out nothing you have mentioned. kind of reminds me of stuff when I, I would try to get my mom or my dad to do something to my brother, you know, and And it would never work out that way. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you do it? Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for Haman. Now, we don't have a record of what happened on the inside for Haman, but I would imagine it was something like this. Mordecai, the Jew, not me. Mordecai, King, you've got to be kidding. What's going on? However, Haman does everything the king describes. He described it to the king. He does everything to a T. He dresses Mordecai in the royal robes. He leads the king's horse through the town square. And probably biting his tongue, he's calling out, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Reminded me of something that Jesus said in Matthew 23. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. In a portrayal, in a, in, a, in a picture of this, throughout the streets of Susa, Haman is humbled. Mordecai is exalted. And we find that Mordecai returns to the king's gate, where he was. And the New Living Translation tells us that Haman hurried home, dejected. And completely humiliated. Haman arrives home, summons his wife and his friends again to get some counsel to kind of maybe help him um, console him for just a moment. And when his wife and his friends speak, they they speak words that I think are a combination of being prophetically true, but from Haman's perspective, are honestly. Pretty unhelpful. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Not nearly as encouraging as their other conversation. Reminds them that Haman would not prevail over Mordecai, no matter what circumstance. Mordecai would prevail over Haman And then verse 14 leaves us with Haman not even having time to linger the situation with Mordecai. Because verse 14 tells us that the eunuchs arrive and hurry him off to the queen's second banquet, leaving us to wonder what's going to happen next. What other events, what other circumstances will God use for his plan and his purpose? basically the story. It's fairly simple. Reminds us that God works in ordinary and seemingly insignificant events to accomplish his plans and purposes. But you get to the end of a story like this and you kind of have to ask yourself this question, so what? So what does it mean to me? I want you to think about this for a second. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, think about the steps that led you to coming to trust in Jesus. Maybe it was one of those, ran into a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe you picked up a book or a pamphlet somewhere and began to read. Maybe you were younger and somebody invited you to church, vacation Bible school, or maybe even a Bible study. Or you turned on the radio and the message is just, one of those reminders that things just don't happen. God has a reason. In tracing the line of our coming to faith, we can find that those things are true. Little things all all along the way move us along in the direction God has for us. But we also need to remember that God uses both the good things and the not so good things. We're most vividly reminded of this in the story of the life of Jesus as we come quickly toward Easter. It'll be here before we know it. You know those Jewish religious leaders plotting to kill Jesus because in their minds that was what needed to be done. It was wicked. It was unjust. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was crucified. And it seemed that evil and the devil had won. The disciples are discouraged bewildered, and although it seemed very much like a defeat, God uses used the cross for the greatest reversal ever. That Jesus, through his death, brought life that would like, look like defeat would bring the ultimate victory. And because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that God exalted him to the highest position that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. It's the greatest reversal ever and in Jesus the direction of your life can be reversed as well. The wonderful gift of going from spiritual death to eternal life. From hopelessness to being filled with hope. From wandering and wondering to having purpose, direction, focus. But we also need to remember that in Jesus, none of the situations or circumstances in your life are wasted. Sleepless nights, there's a purpose. Physical pain and suffering, there's a purpose. We don't like it. We don't want to look for it, but there's a purpose. Running into someone... In a public place, God made an appointment. And there's millions of other things that we don't even realize. That God uses in our life to advance His plan and His purposes. And here's the key that unlocks it. Humility. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That's the key, humility. God, I don't have all the answers. God, I don't understand, but I trust in you. In the story, we find Mordecai is humble and is exalted. We find that Haman is prideful and is brought low. So while humility is the key that unlocks the greatest barrier we face as human beings is pride, P-R-I-D-E, pride. And even the most humble, meek person you know struggles on a daily basis with that word, pride. It wells up in us every day if we're not careful. We have to remember what James wrote. James chapter 4, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, when God brings those that are exalted, those are prideful, low to a place of humility, the only thing that keeps him from receiving receiving all that God has for them is their lack of acceptance, their lack to be humbled. God will bring you to the point of approaching Him humbly, but those that are still filled with pride reject Him. So when God humbles a person filled with pride, there's two choices. You can resist or you can surrender. And eternity and abundant life both hang in the balance. So before we pray, let me just remind you, God uses situations in your life that seem insignificant to accomplish his plans and purposes. And the two questions I leave you with are simply this, will you surrender to his will and will you join along with him in his plans and in his purposes? Will you pray with me? Lord, as we quieten ourselves before you, we enjoy just for a moment the, the stillness in, in a world that's not very still. We ask for you to help us to reflect on the truths of this story. We see very clearly that the themes of reversal that point us toward the cross and the great victory that brought life from death that Jesus won on our account. We see the exciting truth that that you can reverse circumstances in our life. That you can change the course and direction of our life when we trust in you. We see that your hands at work and things that don't even seem like they matter we are confronted with our own pride and the need that we have to be humbled. So Lord, help us to answer these questions honestly before you. Will I surrender to your will? Will I join you in the plans and purposes you have? And if we say yes, that we would ask for strength and commitment to walk in the journey if we have any hesitation or we we say no, God, not yet. Lord, you would search us and help us to know why. That we could come before you with humility, confess those things and walk what you have for us. Oh Lord, we ask for your help. And we know that you're willing to give it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Musicians are going to play in just a moment. It's our opportunity to respond to to God's word, to, to ponder these questions, to ponder the truths that you've, you've heard from, from the word and from the spirit as we, we looked at these verses together can be a day to lay down your pride and humbly come before Jesus and trust Him for salvation. It can be a day of restart or resetting if you say, God, I've, I have pridefully thought I could do it on my own, but I can't. I need you every hour. You may feel like you've blown it in some area, and you can come back and find that His grace is, just like John Newton wrote, truly amazing grace, He's loving and forgiving maybe you're having a hard time sorting out the fact that God, why would you allow this in my life? What purpose does it have? And I just ask God to help me to see you in the middle of that. Maybe it's time God says you know, I want you to plant your roots here and and jump in and be a part of the family across Timber. Whatever the decision, as we we stand or if you choose to remain seated, as we listen to God, pray that as we focus on Him, that He'll trust that we'll trust in Him and that we'll commit ourselves afresh and anew for His glory. So let's respond to the Lord. we stand and sing. I want to take this opportunity just to thank you for for worshiping this morning. Glenna, I think is, Glenna's going to come up and tell the ladies um, briefly about, or or however long you need to tell her about the next Ladies Connect um, that is coming up on March the 9th. I want to thank you for being here this morning. When Glenna finishes, um, we're going to sing together, and when we're finished singing, um, you're dismissed. So Glenna, tell us about Ladies Connect. sing together